BTF here for one of today's sponsors in the Money Plus. This is that great time where when you sign up, you get all of the Keeneland coverage plus the entire Derby package, including the grid picks, extra stuff from Frank Scatoni, extra pods from Nick Tamaro and the whole team. It's going to be worth it. We never have had anybody say, oh, I didn't get my money's worth. And in fact, we've told people to tell us that we should charge more for it, but we're not going to do that. You can just get it for one month. Um, if you want just the Derby stuff, or you can join us all year and continue to get lots of great extra coverage. It's a great way to support the show in the moneypodcast.com slash plus. Hello and welcome to the In the Money Players podcast. This is our show for the races of Saturday, April 15th. Great day of racing. A little bit later in the show, we're also going to be taking a look ahead to what's going on this weekend over in Japan, as well as a deep dive on the Japanese contenders for this year's Kentucky Derby. You're not going to want to miss that. That'll be posted up on YouTube as well. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, coming to you from the Griffin Gate Marriott in beautiful Lexington, Kentucky. Happy to be joined by a man who I think is just down the road at this point after his travels yesterday from InTheMoneyPodcast.com. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, did you make it here okay? I did. I am in Lexington just like you. I'm on the other side of town. You can tell probably from that sound that I brought my daughter with me and my wife for this trip. So uh, they will, they will make their, it is actually not my wife's Keeneland debut tomorrow, but it will be my daughter's. So looking forward to it. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm at the palatial Pat Cummings estate in Kentucky, ready to rock and roll. Is it true that you, you, you have to, uh, you have to, to pledge any oaths about progressive uh, thoroughbred racing issues before you're allowed to entry into the house. You know, you, you, you have to, you know, take an oath that you're in favor of uh, category one stewarding. We get up in the morning and say a creed sort of like, uh, like you would at a proper mass that, uh, <laughs> that spells everything out that Pat feels strongly about. One thing about Pat is you never have to wonder what his position is on things. That's why I love him. He's not shy. This is the way, this is the way. Let's dive into these races as much as I would enjoy a five-minute uh, Pat Cummings tangent here. We oh, do need- you're getting way more than that tonight, my friend. The public <laughs> will miss out, but they'll have to take our <laughs> Maybe I'll sneak a recorder into dinner as we get that as we get that sorted out. Let's start in Keeneland. I mean, the Aqueduct card, obviously near and dear to my heart on this Saturday. We'll get to that. But let's start at Keeneland for race number seven. Um on the Saturday call at the start of this late pick five. Nick, how do you want to light this candle? You know, I, I guess as as often the case when he's running in any race, you have to at least touch on Barbara Road, who has had a tremendous amount of popularity for the betting public going back to last year when he was a, a you know, a fringe player for the, for the Derby. He had run second, obviously, in the Southwest in the Arkansas Derby. But I'll tell you, I believe – that his last race was probably his best ever. And the big difference between last time and every other time is suddenly he had some speed last time. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that he has lacked significantly throughout his career. But uh, Ray Gutierrez, who is uh, one of the more aggressive riders in the game right now, the uh, fairgrounds uh, leading rider for the meet, put him into the mix, got him to the front. He nearly held on. He lost to a very sharp horse named Icarus. 
who is in very good form right now. So I think Barbara Road is really the horse to beat. I know he's uh, he's worn a lot of people out. He's overstayed his welcome a little bit in the in the one other than uh, category. But I do think this is his best opportunity to get it done. I also thought the eight master game seemed very obvious. Two improved races since he was claimed by Grant Forrester. This is a heady barn that obviously saw something in this son of mastery when they took him for 30,000. And, and you love when a trainer claims a horse with intent, immediately moves him up in class. Not only has this horse's speed figures, his final time figures, like Byers improved, his pace figures have just exploded. And he's a significantly faster horse. And, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, this horse was underperforming for Mark Cassie. Sometimes the change of scenery does it. I thought those were my main two. I've already been told that I made the morning line on Principe Doro too high, that uh, he seemed very obvious. I didn't like his last race. I thought that, you know, generally horses off long layoffs for Todd Pletcher perform well. He's not doing as well in that category as he had in the past. And I thought that uh, that this well-bred Cole put up no resistance whatsoever when he met some adversity. I know he's probably the main speed on paper. I don't think his maiden race held up, and I'd be willing to take a little bit more of a stand against him. Well, we are in lockstep on this one for sure. Just a couple of couple of quick tangents. You mentioned about the Raylu story. Great article in the Blood Horse by In the Money affiliated Kevin Kilroy. Folks should check out about Raylu and uh, the relationship with his agent, uh, Jose Santos Jr. And talked about Barbara Road, who I was going to reluctantly include as a B. I did agree that that last race was. Um, was a, a positive potential indication of forward moving form. I give you credit for coming up with some of the best euphemisms for money burner I've ever heard, Nick, but I was still going to leave this horse in if only because I didn't want to get an upset text from another in the money affiliated person, Jessica Paquette, who loves this horse. And I didn't want to send any bad gree gree her way when she's getting ready to run the Boston marathon on Monday. So I do want Barbara road in there uh, as on the backup line, but I, I thought this was master games race. I thought he was going to sit close enough to uh Principe Doro and be able to take over. The, the, this horse looks very strong to me. Love the versatility and running style. And I love the outside draw for this one. Uh, I wasn't overly impressed by the last race on uh, Prince Ray Doro either. I mean, morning line-wise, I don't know. Maybe you could tick it down a little just for Irad and Pletcher guessing how the public's going to bet. But, yeah, I don't even think I would want to back that horse at – I mean, I don't, I don't think I want to back the horse at 6-1. to one. So, anyway, uh, my, just my two cents there. Very much uh, similar as we get this thing kicked off. Let's move on to some stakes action in the form of the Keeneland's eighth race, where we're turf sprinting in the Giants' causeway for Phillies and Mares, three and up, going five and a half. And uh, I like Star Divine as my top pick in here. This is another horse that has versatility and an outside draw that I like for giving the rider some tactical options. And my thought was, with the wards, you know, both sure to be bet off the boards, assuming both goes, I thought Star Divine could be interesting value. I will probably try to come up with com some configurations backing up with both Happy Soul and Twilight Gleaming, the three and the 10. If you made me split them a little bit, maybe Happy Soul, the more unexposed of the two. That was such a huge race um, uh, the last time, uh, turf sprinting at Kentucky Downs. And you, you would just think, based on the Ward general profile, that the five and a half Keeneland configuration could really suit this one. Anyway, I've got it 12 with three and 10 on the backup line. How do you see this one? Yeah, I mean, talk about just a, a virtually impossible race on paper, at least to put together, a, you know, a reasonable set of ideas. Um, I, I'm going to do like everybody else, and I'm probably going to be deeper, you know, than I would like to be uh, in a normal situation. But 
I don't have a lot of trust for either of the Wesley Ward runners. I do think both of them are capable of winning. I didn't really think Twilight Gleaming took an appreciable step forward as a three-year-old. And so I think it's risky to assume that she's going to as a four-year-old. But I do wonder how much Wesley will. It seems like in situations where he has multiple horses, you know, generally Wesley's horses want to be forwardly placed. He sort of lets the riders sort that out themselves. And if you think back to last week, Coffee Maker on opening day looked like the better of his two runners in a turf sprint race, but her world got out of the gate faster and ended up wiring the field. And so I won't be surprised if Twilight Gleaming ends up on the lead and, and she is definitely quick enough to, to get the job done if she does. But I still think you want, you want other horses in here as well. I think Star Divine is very, very dangerous. I thought she closed out her 2022 very impressively. Little Jewel had a perfect trip last time at Gulfstream, but still ran very well. A Miner's Queen is going to be a big price and is a horse that has a good local effort. I don't know if she's uh, quite as confident without Lasix, but I don't know how much the public takes that into consideration, quite honestly, when betting. I picked Amy C. And so Amy C's my 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 top pick. I don't have an overwhelming amount of confidence. I know six, six and a half is probably a little bit better. Six is better. But I think she can get there at five and a half with the setup that she's supposed to get. Phil D'Amato already has two wins at the young meet, looks to be sending over nothing but live horses. So I'll have every bit of the three, four, five, uh, nine, 11, 10, 11, and 12 on my tickets just in different order, in different capacities. You want to give me the ones you'll use as A's just to pass that along to people on the plus side, or do you just want to leave this as a ginormous spread? Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely have the three, five, and 12 as A's. Okay. That makes that make perfect sense. Phil D'Amato putting the lie to my oft-spoken idea of uh, the troubles that turf form from the West sometimes has shipping to the East. He's been, uh, he's been rocking, it, uh, rocking it out. Five, three, and four on the A-line, you said, yes? Yes. Okay, excellent. I will, uh, I will fill in the rest, and we will keep the conversation going as we move on to uh, Keeneland's ninth race on this Saturday card where the stakes – Action continues with these three-year-olds in the grade three Lexington mile and a 16th possible Kentucky Derby implications. Who do you like? You know, this came up just a really fascinating race. And in this crop, it, it's, it's typical of what we've seen is an evenly matched group of horses. Um, what we're getting at this point are some of the new arrivals to the scene. And it's exciting to have them because you have a horse like first mission who was very impressive in his debut finishing second behind Bishop's Bay and then came back and really answered the question of going long better than his stable mate did and backed up his 96 buyer on debut with an 89 beat what looked like a decent enough field. Some of the also rands are entered over the next couple of days at Keeneland. So, you know, do keep a look at those. And I will say Pete that when I was making the morning line for this race, I needed one more element to make sure that I had, had looked at every possible angle as far as deciding on prices. And I looked at the thoroughgraphs and first mission is just an absolute standout on the thoroughgraphs. So we'll see if that ends up being what puts the public over the top. You know, what do you do with a horse like empire strikes fast? He ran a really good race on debut. He beat dreamlike who came back and lost the wood Memorial by a neck more or less. So I think you have to take him very seriously. Disarm is obviously in this race with an eye on getting to the Derby potentially with a good enough effort. I feel like him and Arabian Lion for me are more backup types and I want to use first mission and Empire Strikes Fast as A's. You know, my my one horse that I'm willing to give a little bit of an opportunity to and it's probably more of a placing chance than a winning opportunity is Dennington. 
And I feel like Dennington, now that he's off Lasix twice, he had a wide trip the whole way in the Louisiana Derby, no pace set up at all. He's at least going to get some pace to run out here. And we've seen Kenny McPeak horses overperform at Keeneland for years. You've got five and eight on the top line, backing up with the six, 11, and seven, the seven more for underneath. I didn't know that about Thurgraf, and I thought it was first missions race to lose simply because I think he is going to get the best trip of the logicals. I think he's going to be in a great spot where he wants to be, sort of a different situation coming out of that blue-coated race the last day with more speed in front of him. But the way his pace line was, I think that's actually going to show him to better effect. I think he's going to run really, really well. I considered using Disarm as an A. You know, this is a horse I said Derby for the first time about on August 6th, right? So it feels like I should be backing him in this in this spot um, where he can punch his ticket potentially. My issue is the form of the Louisiana Derby and specifically the deep dive that uh, Sean Borman and I did on the pro player show earlier in the week into the way that pace line worked. It, it might be a race. I'm not going to want to be backing anybody out of, but I'm going to make an exception using disarm as a backup here to, uh, to the five runner first mission and see if that can't get me out of here. Lots of ways, lots of ways I could lose, but you got to take stands somewhere and first mission horse. I'm happy to take a stand on. Let's talk about this 10th race, the grade one, Jenny Wiley. What a cool race Four and up Billy's and mares. We're going a mile on a 16th on the turf. And uh, I just, I, I sort of went over the, the river and back again here in looking at these runners and just came back to the sort, the sort of obvious conclusion, Nick, that I think an Italian's just going to drill them. I think that's how I'm going to play the race. Strong A press for me within Italian. Obviously, lots of talented uh, Phillies and mares, lots of different ways to go. But I think from a betting point of view, that's how I'm going to land. How do you see it? Well, you know, I can tell you that the there are a couple of horses entered in this race that are re-entered on Sunday in an allowance race. And, and the, they're the seven Henrietta Topham and the eight freedom speaks. Now, obviously both of them had virtually no opportunity to win this race, but it did look like freedom speaks could be the thorn in the side of an Italian in the early stages. And she's out. So uh, presumably, I mean, I don't know why they would re-enter in a six horse allowance race on Sunday if they planned on going here anyway, that obviously makes an Italian's job a lot easier. And she didn't need any corners to, to be cut. Um, she's obviously very, very good in, in her own right. Uh, you know, I, she, look, she's she's so by far and away the horse to beat. She's the one to catch. Everything about her just screams that she's going to be uh, be very tough to handle in here. I'm just too fearful of with the moonlight. I, I'm just too I'm too concerned at this point about trying to beat these Charlie Appleby horses when he ships over. He obviously is doing so with a great amount of intent. You know, this is an opportunity to run for big money when she really doesn't have a lot of those chances in Europe. And she, I thought, looked like a better and more competent horse in her two starts in Dubai. I know the competition is not quite at the level that you would face normally internationally, but I think it boils down to she and, and an Italian. I respect Queen Goddess, and I do think that Queen Goddess is still dangerous because she's going to get the first run on an Italian. But um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it shakes out. I think from a betting perspective, I'm not really dying to play it. I think in my multis, I'd probably try and get bullish and single with the moonlight and just back up with an Italian and, um, and Queen Goddess because I, I, in Charlie, I trust. Yeah, I mean, that's not crazy. We went over the numbers with Michael Domable on the Friday show, and, and they're obscene, I mean, frankly. 
So, so I don't blame that. Uh, I don't blame that way of thinking at all. We'll take slightly different approaches there, but we're not completely oppo. We can both hopefully get through one more race at Keeneland, and then we're going to zip to a speed round at uh, at the Big A. But we close things out with this allowance race going six and a half for Phillies and mares four and up when it comes to this Keeneland late pick five. Nick, how are we going to get paid? I mean, this is Tarabi's race to lose, right? The far outside runner, the 12. I made her a two-to-one morning line favorite. Her final couple of races in 2022, when she had an abbreviated campaign, were very good. She won the Wilton at Saratoga, certainly not against the strongest field you'll ever find, but then came back and ran second behind Echo Zulu when Echo Zulu was totally isolated on the front end. So I, she is just positioned very well to succeed here, in my opinion. And, um, and so I think she will... Um, this has been a, a, an opportunity for a horse off a lay. This has been a, a very good angle, I, I should say, for this barn um, with Cherie DeVoe hitting at a, a 25% clip just in the last couple of years off long layoffs. The dangers look like radio days, maybe Top Gun Girl to a lesser extent. I don't love Top Gun Girl's last race. And, um, and, and I did think my Kentucky Girl deserved a little bit of a look, kind of woke up last time off the poor race at Parks and has a huge local win for Jonathan Wong who's a dangerous trainer, but you know, when push comes to shove to Robbie's the lone A for me and I'll back up with, uh, with those three, the two, three and nine, and I'll feel pretty confident about being able to get through it. I got one goofy one to give you here. And you tell me what you think. Any shot with the seven overcharged as a sneaky kind of best speed play thought was wide last time on a day when ground loss mattered. And just looking back through the PPs looks like one who's had a couple of less than ideal rides getting a big jock switch for the third start of the year. This horse is always bet off the boards, but should be a price today. Big class test, big trainer test. Trainers never had a runner at Keeneland that I could discern, but obviously a winning operation. I was going to split stake. I mean, to Robbie, extremely obvious, but for the purpose of trying to be a little cute in a sequence where I'm very chalky, I actually called it 712. Do you buy any of that case on overcharged or am I, am I dreaming? No, not dreaming. And I do think that Jose Camejo, who you mentioned, has not had a starter at Keeneland. He's won a number of races in New York for the last couple of years. So if you can win there, in my opinion, uh, you know, Frank Sinatra was right. <laughs> so, no, I respect the horse for sure. Obviously, you I have not done the, the proper amount of work to speak to this um, in an educated manner. It feels like the fairgrounds horses are underperforming a little bit. Um, and this horse has been running almost exclusively against Louisiana breads, but yes. I mean, look, you only go back to July of 21 and she finished second in a great at stake. So, I mean, she's got back class and back form to totally make her competitive. All right. We'll see. We'll see if I can get, uh, get anything going. Let's zip. Speaking of uh, New York, New York, skip to uh, aqueduct. And of course we've got to talk about the second race, this first level allowance for three-year-olds going six furlongs, the return to the races of looms boldly. I'm a little nervous, Nick. It's, I mean, it's the right spot, and, and we should see, you know, he absolutely should be here and compete. I'm just a little nervous about you know, Carmouche on the inside, the hot uh, actress uh, barn, and, uh, and also the toxic gray. I think we're going to learn a little bit about our boy here in, uh, in this race. Did you, were you planning on picking him? How, how do you see this? Well, I mean, based on his last race, he is uh, very much – one of the two major contenders, right? I, I think the other major contender is Toxic Gray. The advantage that Toxic Gray has is that he ran a very, very strong race last time out wide the entire way on a day where you really wanted to be inside. So I, I think that he's probably a little bit better 
than his past performances look. Now, with that said, Paros, who ran third, came back and underperformed in his next race. He may have been a little bit track compromised that day as well. You know, ultimately, if we're going to figure out how good Looms Boldly is, he's going to end up in some scenarios where he has to sit just off the pace. So if Warman Road goes on a, a mission to get the lead, I think that might actually be a good thing. Um, especially because in the grand scheme of things, this is a race he doesn't really need all that badly. He's running in here because there's a gap between this and the objective on uh, on Memorial Day, which is the Mike Lee, and this will set him up perfectly for about six weeks off before that. Yeah, I, I love I love I love the way you broke that down, and, and you're right, not a bad time to maybe you know have Franco not uh, hook Carmouche uh, hammer and tongs and and learn learn a little bit something. I do worry about the forerunner maybe being against the track last time and and us maybe being helped a little bit by by a track that certainly wasn't unkind to speed on Looms Boldly's last day. Let's zip to the pick six though that we love. Um, we started off with these fourteen thousand dollar claimers and uh, I'm gonna kick on with this race. I I didn't love my opinion in here, Nick, but I was gonna. I was going to try to start off with two runners. Patrick the Great, the six. Just such a Linda Rice move, wheeling back an in-form runner in seven days. I thought would get a good trip on or near the lead. Barnes still doing well. I thought this looked like your best speed. And then I saw another scenario where it ends up being a bit of a, of a, of a pace knockaround up front with if the two especially joins the party with the one and the six. Maybe that sets it up for a closer. And hang tight, I thought, was the interesting closer. Close on figures, cutting back. He's going to need plenty of pace, but you know, this is a spot where I'm trying to do the best speed and best closer and hope for the best six, eight for me to kick off pick six at Aqueduct. What do you like? Yeah, it's funny. We didn't talk beforehand, but I picked it eight, six. So funny. I, I kind of thought the tight was the interesting off the pace horse as well. And I feel similarly to you that Patrick, the great off the short rest is, is just fine. Um, this is a horse who now will, will end up having run three times in three weeks, but you know, look, Linda won the distaff, uh, handicapped last week with a filly she was bringing back in five days so this is this is very much her kind of angle his last race was really nothing more than a stroll in the park and um, so I doubt he was really you know stretched to the max that day he does look like probably the best speed horse and hang tight is is my kind of horse he's from a low profile barn he's going to get a big pace set up there's a lot to like there the blinkers going on i hope doesn't really affect much of what eric Cancel does early because i want him to just take back and make one run let's talk about this fifth race we got maiden claimer 40s for three and up going a mile and a 16th on the turf nick we'll keep it with you yeah i mean talk about a race where it's hard to really really find any clues at least in the past form and you know, the horses moving over to the turf don't exactly inspire a great deal of confidence. You wouldn't expect it in a in a 40 claimer. I reluctantly picked Carlin Clan, who's a new gelding off of uh, an effort last out at, at Gulfstream against just significantly better horses. He at least has turf races that you can point to and say, OK, if he performs at that level, he's going to be very tough to handle. And so that was, you know, kind of where why I just defaulted to him. I did think there were a couple of interesting horses that. Uh, we're getting this new opportunity. And uh, I thought all things considered that union tap was one that I could warm up to a little bit. I mean, he was obviously, as the comment says, he was never involved in his debut. Now he drops in for a tag. It's been a very rough start to the year for John Kimmel, who's still looking for his first win. Um, but this is a horse who at least I could see taking a step forward second time out. I was going to try and just get through it pretty thin. I agree about Carlin clan being the most obvious. That's my lone a, a new gelding. Best of a hungry group with a potential pace edge, but I did want to back up with runners I thought were fairly obvious. The nine Yorkshire Prince, 
Tom Morley dropper. There is some turf in the female family here, a little bit. And then the seven proven hope. I like the fact that this one tries, you know, um, this isn't like, a, I didn't think this was a, a horse with a lot of seconds who just hangs. Like it really appears to be putting in an effort in the lane and that smart strike blood in there makes me think dams, poss- uh, turf's a possibility. And the dam was much better on the green. So just the very moto 10 with nine and seven, I'm going to take another look at your two um, in there as well. Cause I think you'll get a good price on that one at least. And it could, if it's not those races, it's typically one way or the other, right? Super formful or super chaotic. So don't mind the idea of having some prices on side. Aqueduct six race is a 10 dime claim for six furlongs on the dirt. I thought that uh, magnificent Chrome was interesting, likely getting the best trip in the second start off the claim the Lynch barn thought would be able to uh, to sit just in behind and might have something in reserve. Nice little second off the layoff situation there. The other one I was interested in was a bit more obvious. The two raise the rent. This horse um, uh, third time off the layoff and I thought would just get a good forward trip in this spot. We'll see. Was that improvement in figure last time due to surface or was it due to maybe finally finding himself a little bit at age five? I'm not sure. I'm not going to go crazy at a short price, but looked obvious enough. I was going to play around mainly with the seven, the two very open to including any others you might want to nominate in here, Nick, what will your tickets look like? Yeah. You know, I, I, I like both. I have no issue with magnificent Chrome who took a step forward off the claim, which is always good to see. It's encouraging. Um, I thought Marvin was a horse that I could use a little bit as well. He at least ran an improved race last out kind of one pace the whole way chasing, but he stayed on and he's got some back form. He gets in light with Jason Wyas on board. So he felt like a horse that I wanted to have in the mix, but I agree. I mean, raise the rent is clearly the horse to beat. And I understand he's going to be over bet based on a synthetic race, but he still ran that race and it's still important yeah. to notice and, and, and draw attention to the fact that his performance that day would likely be good enough to win this race under almost any circumstance. How would you grade this out? Just two, seven, three equally, or do you, would you grade? Would you split them? Yeah, I'd probably go two and three equally, and more back up with the seven. Okay, that works for me. Let's proceed to race number seven, which is on the turf. Three-year-old New York bred fillies and mares going a mile and a sixteenth, and a big full field signed on here. Nick, how do you see it? You know, you're going to get the public to really, uh, I would say, latch on to the three inflationary trend, who is by Mendelssohn, who's a good turf sire. The dam side includes New York bred turf winner Saratoga Flash, who nearly won a, a race at, uh, at Gulfstream on payout day a couple of weeks ago on the, uh, on, I think it was on the synthetic. It was. So, uh, you know, you've got plenty of pedigree there. That's a horse that looks like she should end up being okay. The 11 bomb squad ran credibly on debut now back off the layoff with Lasix for Christophe Clement. I know those two are a little bit chalky, but they seem to make a great deal of sense. I, I tried the six succulent on numerous occasions last time last year. And of course she ended up getting disqualified the one time that she got to the wire first. <laughs> he looks like a contender, obviously more of a backup for me. I just wish I had an interesting horse switching surfaces Maybe the four starts now, that's when I kind of flirted with a little bit. Didn't have the cleanest of trips on debut. Really bred heavily for the turf and gets back to it. This one's kin to Invading Humor and Distorted Beauty, both of whom were accomplished turf horses for Bruce Levine. You know, maybe maybe Eric Cancel puts this horse on the lead and she can get a little brave. That's actually who I put on top, noticing, um, you know, that, uh, that solid debut 
on the turf, bet hard for the dirt, and obviously it all went wrong there, but it got eased. But now coming back, running back on that best surface, just feels like one that could be sneaky at, uh, at a big price for a barn that does plenty of winning in a race where there's a lot of question marks. I do think that the, the, of the favorites, I mean, they both are logical. They'll both be on tickets bomb squad in particular, I thought was interesting trying to close into that slow pace on debut, the splendid one who reopposes um, beat her there, but she's been subsequently uh, exposed. I feel okay. um, Putting bomb squad on the a line. And then I'm not going to be a hero inflationary trend. Just super obvious as one to back up with. So four eleven on the top line, three on the back for me. I wrote you down three eleven on the top line, six four on the backup. That sound about right? That works. Race eight starter allowance, six furlongs on the dirt. I was going to try to play this one for a straight up meltdown. It looks like the fastest horses all want the lead. Maybe that means we can get some stuff in from off the pace. I didn't really have a huge preference between the ways I wanted to play the three the seven and the 11 in here. I just thought they were going to get the best trips. I listed them in that order. Maybe the three will be a little bit more in touch with the field to take advantage of it. I'll start with the pace question. Do you agree with me that this is a race that looks likely to melt down? It does because not only are there a lot of speed horses, but the speed horses are all being ridden by speed jockeys (laughs) and they're all, they're all sort of drawn where they have to show speed. And I mean, mainly I'm referring to the one and the two, as far as the speed horses go, I mean, the ones that made out a little bit better were built to last in motion to strike. But I don't know if um, if they're going to end up being quite as forwardly placed early. So, yeah, I think I think meltdown is very much possible. And um, if that were to happen, I think Nolo Contesto is very dangerous as well. You know, give me West Coast dirt form under just about any circumstance. And this is a horse cutting back, which I like cutbacks anyway. And as long as there's no issue with being inside, he should end up slotting over very nicely when those two to his inside uh, end up showing all that speed. So what did you make of Bourbon Ready, who was underwhelming last time, but perhaps was hurt by a wet track? Well, that's interesting. I was wondering about the potential excuse because it looked like a race where I thought he'd do a little bit more, a little bit more running. And so I was just sort of tented. I could easily be talked into backing up just because this is a horse also that will be sort of ahead of the deepest closers and certainly has uh, some back races to be, to be competitive. But I, I originally dodged based on just not sure what kind of form, uh, not sure what kind of form the horse was in, you know, that last day, it seemed like one that really between the way the track was playing and the pace should, we, we should have seen a little bit more late, but Hey, it was the mud. That, that's a, a reasonable excuse for a horse that could be double digit odds. Did you, did you end up having as an A? You know, I didn't, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'd have him as no better than a backup at this point. I worry that he tipped his hand. He was going the wrong way at Gulfstream in February, got sent to New York, hoping that he could find some of what he had before. And he just proved that it's lost. So um, I, I'm going to take that approach to him. He was just a horse that you, know, you could point to an individual race and say, Hey, if he runs that he's a contender, but I also don't know how much he's helped by being in a big field with a lot of pace. It, it, it that's a great point. Race. I mean, the fact that the horse has been out of position early has made me think that fast pace would help. But when you go back and actually look at the good races, that's not, that wasn't the running style. So it's a tricky yeah. situation for that one, for sure. Tough read, no doubt. Yeah. What else do you uh, want to use here? No, those are those are my main horses. I don't I don't have uh, Nolo Contesto is going to be my my solid A. Um, I, I fear Super Quality to an extent, but not enough to to really get him into the mix. 
Um, I, I would use Necromancer as a backup as well. I know I have a little affinity for him having used him in the NHC when he won at 11 to one, but he's got the right running style for this race. And, yep. you know, he's going to be a, a wide sweeper in a race with a lot of speed. So I'd probably try and find him uh, into there as well. Only the three and the five for you, it sounds like. In yeah, race three, eight. five. Let's talk about the ninth. We've got a maiden special weight for Phillies and Mares three and up six furlongs on the turf, uh, a race that uh, looks pretty open as we scroll down through the morning line. Do you land closer to the top of the market or do you think we can get a price in here to close things out? I mean, it looks like there's an opportunity for a price, but I think the the key is going to be finding out who it might be. Um, I, I wanted to try the three quiescent who I thought ran well on debut in what was a really loaded looking maiden race. I remember this horse was training well coming into that. Um, and I remember that because I ended up using him, using her a little bit. That was the day after the Travers and the, the runaway winner from Cherie DeVosbarn. I don't think we've seen since then, or at least hasn't done anything significant. So this is a horse I wanted to give some consideration to. There's some, some turf pedigree on the dam side, nothing too extensive, but there's a few horses that performed well, including Delft, Deft rather, and Tweaked. Um, Lexi Spirit is a horse who I thought ran well on the turf last year, hasn't exactly impressed in a couple of turf starts recently at Gulfstream. Horses like Accept the Outcome or Must Uses, but boy, they're not exciting because she's going to take a ton of money based on a race that was just okay. You know, she was two to one in a, in a ho-hum looking maiden special weight field. Didn't get the cleanest of trips, but really didn't do a heck of a lot of running. So it's a little bit frustrating there. Continuing to go through, I mean, Miss San Gabriel looked like a horse that was pretty obvious as well. Ended up running into Dance Macabre on debut. So I think you'd probably want to use her. So I'll, I'll use probably every bit of the, uh, of the three, five, six, and seven. And I would imagine including the 10 as well in some capacity. In fact, put me down for using all five of those because I don't see much separation. It's, it's, it's definitely tricky. Yeah. The, the Charita Vohorst did come back and run in the frisette, right? Does that sound, does, does that sound? That is accurate. You're absolutely right. Did not perform well. And I, and I don't think has run since. Yeah. We'll, uh, we, we can dig on that. Maybe, maybe they'll be restarting soon and we'll see what comes up. I just thought Miss San Gabriel looked, looked, obvious off that first race i mean that was a good figure the form's terrific with three winners coming out of it uh two others that ran back getting second there's there's just i thought there was a lot to like with miss san gabriel and i wasn't going to get beat by except the outcome i was hoping this was one of those very open looking races that could um end up playing to to the market the 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 form of the except the outcome races worked out very badly i was just going to give a little bit of credit for how keen she was early and how hard she was bet and just the hands she's in. I have nothing clever there. Uh, I like it. 10-6 to get out. Nick uh, casting a wide net. 3-5-6-7-10. All right. I'm going to let you go. Get over there. I'm going to be a little late over to the tracks. I'm filming this uh, filming slash recording the rest of the show. The special regarding uh, the big 2,000 guineas in Japan on Saturday night into Sunday morning and also doing the deep dive on these other horses, but I'll see you in a couple hours, my friend. Sounds great. Can't wait. Enjoy it. We'll be back right after this. We have a new sponsor here at In The Money Media. Wanted to tell you about it's Cut, K-U-T-T. This is a peer-to-peer -peer social betting platform that's legal in 37 states plus D.C. where you can bet on sports, politics, and pop culture. Cut handles the payment side of things so you never have to chase anyone down for money. Tons of social features, group chats, betting leaderboards, much, much more. Cut, 
the social betting platform that lets you put your money where your mouth is. Check it out, KUTT.com. And right now we've got a special offer for In The Money Media listeners, a 10% deposit bonus up to 100 in credits when you use our promo code In The Money. Check it out now, cut.com, In The Money. Right place. So yeah, we're going to do it a little bit differently, Klaus, than usual. Because yep. we have these videos, I'm going to bring up, you know, Phantom Thief and uh, Tastiera and Bellagio Opera and, uh, and, and Solar Rhines, and we're going to see them and just sort of have our conversation happen. And then if there's other horses that we want to talk about at the, that aren't in the video, we'll, we'll button that up at the end and then we'll get out of here. All right. All right. Coming in in three, two, one. Peter Thomas Fornital back with you. Happy to be presenting a really cool panel. When you know we talk about international panels all the time, this show we're we're dealing with with multiple continents. We're dealing with four different countries. This is truly. I usually joke when somebody says something crazy on the airwaves that you know you can't get analysis like this just anywhere. But this is truly a segment where you can't get analysis like this just anywhere. And in this segment, we're going to start off by talking about the Japan 2000 Guineas, a.k.a. the Group 1, Grade 1, Satsuki Show. I'll introduce our panel and we'll get right into it. Uh, first off, a man who gets who's doing double duty on the show because not only is he appearing as a guest, he's really the, the content producer. We've got producer Craig in the mix, but uh, our content producer coming to us from Dubai, he periodically appears on In The Money Media and always does a fantastic job helping us with coverage, international and domestic. He is Michael Adolfson. Michael, how are things? Things are going well. Uh, it's the sort of mini lull after the World Cup here, and we're getting ready for all of the big races around the world. So bring it on. <laughs> Another returning guest. Always a pleasure having him on these airwaves. Met him at Arizona a couple of years ago, and he comes on to talk with us regularly about the JRA races. He is racing enthusiast, Darley Flying Star graduate, Toshi Onakubo. Toshi, what's going on? Hi, Pete. Always a pleasure to be on this. Good to have you coming to us uh, from Tokyo. And then we have our, our fourth country represented, uh, great, uh, great White North, Canada, our man from Woodbine, who's also our other resident JRA expert, Klaus Ebner. Klaus, what's going on? ETF, how's it going? Things are good. We're going to do something a little different here. We've got a video segment. People are probably listening to this, and they're not going to care. But if you want to see some tape of the horses we're going to talk about, go over to our YouTube channel, In The Money Media. We're going to start off with a clip that brings together three of these runners from the Kyoto News Eye. This is the first, second, and fourth finishers from February 12th, as producer Craig rolls the tape for us over there. And uh, we'll start by talking about uh, Phantom Thief. Uh, Klaus, I'll bring you in first to, to give your thoughts on, on Phantom Thief and, and how this runner fits in the Japan 2000 Guineas, which is happening uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning here in the United States. Yeah, so, so Phantom Thief, obviously, in, in my opinion, would be one of the, one of the favorites in the race. Um, you know, he's, he's still fairly green, if you will. Uh, I know in this race here, uh, you know, Lemaire tried to settle him early, but then he just took off <laughs> to, towards the front. So he was very headstrong early. Uh, but then again, he got the job done over over Touchwood and others that are in here. You know, we had a 
you know, fourth in the, the grade one helpful stakes at this distance uh, and track. So, uh, again, I, I think there's things to like about him. And I, I also think that he'd be one of the favorites uh, of note for Phantom Thief is he had a pretty stellar workout coming into this race. So uh, definitely one to watch. Interesting. Michael, I'd love your thoughts as we watch uh, the gallop out here on the YouTube channel. Uh, he's to me, he's, I mean, the, the market's really supporting him right now. I think he's three, three and a half to one. Um, and, you know, he's a bit of the buzz horse. Lemaire definitely brings the price down a little bit on him. Uh, the one thing I didn't really love about the prep is there really wasn't a lot of pace there. And then, and the horses up front stuck around a little bit longer than I would have expected, at least the, the pace setter did. And, you know, I don't think there was, I think the horse that finished fourth behind him, uh, Tastiero, who we'll get on in a moment, he's, um, he's a lot, I think he's a little bit better than that performance. And he's coming along. He's a horse that I think is pretty progressive. And unlike Phantom Thief, he's had a race in between. So I feel like it's, it's definitely a race where the favorite and the winner is not the only horse to take out of it. Interesting. Toshi, before we get on to the Testiera clip, uh, what are your thoughts on Phantom Thief on Sunday? You know, he, he got the uh, stall seven, which is not too bad, you know, considering Nakayama, you know, 2,000 meter and with Rumel, yeah, he got fair chance and he got plenty speed to sit on front. Yeah, and it's, as Michael said, you know, Tastiera got too much to do in that race. So it's too early to say, you know, Phantom Sea is definitely better than Tastiera. Let's take a look at the deep impact Kinen here where we have uh, one our eyes, particularly on the first, third and fourth finishers from March 5th. This was Testiera's return to the races as uh, Craig plays it for us in the window. Michael, I'm going to let you lead on this one. It, it feels like this might be a way that you're leaning in this spot. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to use them. Um, I don't. Uh, I'll, we'll get to my selection later on, but I, 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 there was a moment where I was going to pick them no matter what, because I just have so much, so much respect for these connections. Um, and obviously the, the trainers won this race, what, five or six years ago. Um, to me, this is a horse that's moving the right direction. Uh, he obviously loves the track. Uh, obviously it's going to be a, a, another step up in, 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 um, form here. He has to, he has to produce, but you know, the horse that finished right behind him that day and, and top night also ran a really great race over course and distance in the hopeful. So I don't think that this is bad form at all. This is a progressive horse and I just don't see him out of the top three in this race. All right. Pretty, pretty strong shout there. Toshi, you mentioned also not loving the trip to back. How do you rate this one's chances going forward? You know, Tastiero worked well, you know, this week and he got plenty chance, but unfortunately he drawn number 14 so it will be a big task and this is open field this year we don't get any two years old grade one winner so barrier draw pace etc at nakayama 2000 meter it's very tricky course so i think it's a bit a big ask for tastiero this time Klaus, where do you uh, break, break the tie for us on this one? Are we definitely on the board or are we, are we asking too much? Yeah, I just, I don't know about the other guys, but for me, I've, you know, I've, I've started, I started more and more now in terms of watching the Setsuki show leading towards horses who prep in, in January, February uh, for this race, as opposed to those who race in March. Um, you know, those that have traditionally run in the spring stakes or the Yayoi show, we ever want to call it the deep impact uh, Keenan. Um, traditionally this recently, I at least haven't, perform that well uh and again those that have prepped you know with more time in between starts have done a lot better so 
And I'm not saying he has, he's a bad race. You know, he's only making his fourth career start. So obviously there should be room for improvement. Um, but it's just, you know, uh, yeah, if anything, he'll, he'll probably be in the bottom, bottom end of my tickets more than anything else. A bunch more contenders come out of the Bellagio or, or Bellagio operas. One of the bunch of contenders that come out of the spring stakes where again, we have the top four uh, finishers coming back here. This was one of the March preps, Klaus. So I'll keep it with you. I'm guessing based on that prejudice um, that you had that uh, none of these runners we're seeing coming out of the spring stakes are necessarily going to be ones that you're that you're keying in here. I, I did really actually really like Bellagio Opera based on the last result. Anyway, I'm just kind of contradicting what I just said just now in regards to that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, he, for me, he was very green in the last start. Uh, you'll see him kind of come around the turn. He's just looks to me like he was all over the place in terms of trying to make that late run. Um, you know, he kind of gathered himself up and, and then, you know, inhaled the field. So, you know, I, I was pretty impressed with the performance. But again, the the as Toshi mentioned before, that draw doesn't doesn't know favorites. Um, you know, he, he hasn't he's gonna come with a late run, but just again, yeah, I just I wasn't a fan of him after that draw, especially. What do you think of this as a prep Toshi potentially? A key piece of form or or uh horses to potentially spin in this spot? I mean Bergio probably was very impressive win, but I I believe if it's questionable field. And with this draw, I wouldn't go with him. Michael, what about uh, the, the winner or any of the others as horses that might be on some of your tickets? I, th- I mean, I think the winner is a proper horse, but I think this is the weakest of the major preps. And <clears throat> to me, it's, it was basically like a fire sale to get into the guineas. Um, you know, they were these horses were just trying their best to make it, make it into the field at this point um, in the last second. So, um, you know, I... I also look at the market and you look at the other three horses that are, that finished right behind him and how they're being supported in the market in this race. And they're being absolutely dismissed. Even his, the horse was second to him, ho biscuits, which is an amazing name. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, uh, he's, he's only 16. He's, he's fluctuating between 14 and 20, 16 mostly. And, and to me, there's just, there's just not a lot of respect for this race. And and rightfully so. I mean, he's going to have to step it up again and prove that this wasn't um, that this was just another step for him in the right direction. And I think that there's there's a bit of a, a tiny bit of a possible monster waiting in the wake. Mind your biscuits is a sire who's going to lead to some pretty funny names and some that only make sense in the United States and some that only make sense in, in England. So we'll see. We'll see how that uh, develops over time. But that is a good one. That is a good one for sure. I want to watch one more piece of tape for a horse that's catching a lot of money and interest. We'll watch the tape of the Casey High Eye back from January 15th. And, Michael, we'll have you lead off the discussion on this runner. Uh, This horse really catches the eye. Um, just 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 seems like a proper horse. And I don't know if anything has happened to him in the meantime and the reason and he hasn't prepped, he hasn't done anything since this race in January, but to me, it looks like he's done enough, and they're just saving him for the Triple Crown at this point. They want a proper horse. They know he's a proper horse. He kind of blows the turn here, very green, um, but the way he finishes, this is, when I look at proper Japanese horses, this is the kind of performance I like to see going into a classic race. This is quickening and finishing stuff that we see from Saul yeah. Ryan's there looking like 11 to two with bookies right now. Klaus, is this the kind of runner you were talking about that in recent years you've been leaning to ones that were sort of flash talent, but have been put away for this test? Yeah, yeah 100%. Uh, so, you know, it echoes, echo what Michael's saying there in regards to Saul Ryan's. Yeah, he's, he's my horse. 
they are asking a lot of them uh, in terms of just, uh, you know, getting ready for this event. But, you know, again, he's he's by Kidisan Black, who's really the hot sire right now. Uh, he's really almost, a, I guess I'll call him a three-quarter brother to the, the very talented racehorse, Vandegaard. So the bloodlines are there. Again, a stellar workout coming to this event. I think it was 12, 11, 11.2 seconds coming into this. Um, and I, I think he actually worked alongside of uh, Sodashi in his last work, actually. So, um, you know, it may be too much too soon for him. That's nothing I can say about him. Uh, he reminds me of Equinox last year being also by Kidisan Black. So it may be too much too soon, but if not this race, then yeah, he may be the actual derby champ in my opinion. Definitely a runner to keep an eye on. Toshi, where do you stand on this one? Yeah, so Orient's, you know, he, he's so so impressive in the grade three, you know, the, the race just we watched. But he's green and only raced twice. And, you know, as Michael said, it's off three months and you know running the highest class of the racing this you know this weekend it's a bit questionable and for me number five you know Freem Faxi uh half brother to dual grade one winner Deirdre so he's himself is grade three winner and team up with Damian Lane he got plenty speed worked well drawn well in stall five I think he got yeah, very good chance this weekend. Interesting. You anticipated my next question. I was going to hold everybody's feet to the fire for a selection as we go around the horn one more time. Class, where are you ultimately leaning in this spot? And it can be a horse or it can be a particular uh, bet you're looking forward to making. Of course, we'll put in the plug now. The American pools for JRA races run through Woodbine. We have our own B pools we're, we're not betting into the main pool, but there's still some terrific wagering opportunities for those who are uh, staying up late Saturday night into Sunday morning. What kind of tickets do you envision yourself putting in class? Yeah, um, most of my tickets will revolve around Solarians and, as Toshi mentioned, Brim Faxi. So those are the two for me. I just uh, will be playing all of my, you know, uh, vertical pools all around them as well as some of the horizontals too. Michael, what's your final answer? And do you have a particular wagering approach for this race? I know you always like the tasty uh, long shot each way as well. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I tried to in this race, but I think Solo Reigns is the horse to beat. Uh, I do think he's actually an interesting play if you can play a future on him and the Tokyo Yushin and the, and the Japanese Derby, because I feel like that's the ultimate goal with this horse, obviously. Uh, and he's, he looks like a proper 12 foot long horse the way he travels. So if you can get, because I feel like after this race, you might not get the price that you'll get afterwards. Right. I mean, you, you might not get the price you prefer. So there might be a good future wager in the in the Japanese Derby on him. And I think he's probably good enough to win this. If I'm going to throw anything in is like a big price each way. Um, then on touchdown has a chance to pick up a piece here. Uh, not a bad horse. And you Yuga Kawada does things that shock me all the time um, with his ability. So I wouldn't be shocked if he, he's in the top three. Terrific stuff, team. If you're watching this video, make sure you stay tuned for another video that will be up soon with uh, this same crew going over the Japanese contingent for this year's Kentucky Derby. If you're listening, we'll be back right after this. We do not have any Santa Anita this weekend, but they'll be coming back soon with their holiday meet. Boy, do we have fun with them for their classic meet. Huge pick five pools to get involved in, plus lots of great 
contests, not only the live bankroll contest that you can play on Express Bet or on track, but also some free contests you can play over at Santa Anita, including the Showviver contest and also the Pick'em contest. If you want to learn more, the easiest way to do it is just to go to SantaAnita.com slash contest. That's SantaAnita.com slash contest. And stay tuned in the coming weeks for more Santa Anita coverage. We're also very excited to be partnered with Naira for the rest of 2023, featuring regular Saturday coverage on the podcast, including the segment you hear or maybe have already heard on these shows. There's also daily write-ups and analysis for free on InTheMoneyPodcast.com from Nick Tamaro and Robbie Fazone, two of the smartest guys I know when it comes to New York racing. And you can even find our stuff over on the Naira site these days under Picks, Plays, and Promotions. Go to Naira.com and look for Picks, plays and promotions for that. Lastly, if you want to follow the great Fox coverage with JK Maggie, Acacia and everybody else over there, and you want to see the schedule without having to hunt around on your cable box in the money slash TV is a pretty link that will give you the full schedule for that. That's in the money slash TV. PTF back with you for a segment that I have been eagerly anticipating I cannot wait to get the thoughts of this international multi-country, multi-continent panel on the Japanese Raiders for this year's Kentucky Derby. I will quickly introduce them once again. This will be redundant if you're listening to the podcast, but you'll you'll just bear with me for this one. Uh, our international expert, one of our many international experts, but a guy we turn to all the time who you've seen if you've watched the uh, coverage of the Dubai meet or any of our Breeders' Cup coverage looking at international runners, Michael Adolfson. Michael, hello. Hello, thanks for having me back, and uh, looking forward to uh, pulling these horses apart. It's probably the most exciting contingent of Japanese ever in the Derby. It's been interesting seeing the trajectory, and, and uh, even if the results, it's not like the results are in a straight line of getting better and better, but when, in terms of efforts we've seen from the horses coming over, they seem to be getting better and better anyway, and then you throw in the, the numbers, it's, it's fascinating. And a man who has his finger on the pulse of Japanese racing and international racing as he's uh, worked and studied it all over the world, coming to us from Japan, Toshi Onokubo. Toshi, what's going on? Hi, Pete. You know, this year we might get three Japanese runners. You know, since uh, 2016, we got the Japan Road to Kentucky Derby. This will be the biggest field we get. So it will be so exciting. It's going to be great. And last but not least, the man who helps us week in and week out covering the JRA from Woodbine. He's a regular contributor also over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And we encourage you to check out all the Japanese content. It drops during the day on Saturday and then weekly when we have uh, JRA Racing. You can get past performances and analysis from him and the team, including Toshi. He is Klaus Ebner. Klaus, what's going on? Hey, Pete, I'm ready to do my three-horse Japanese tri-box in the derby. <laughs> what do you think that'll pay? <laughs> Guaranteed underlay, I suppose, just because there will be people going that way. But, I mean, what does this mean? I'm going to start with you, class, actually, because as somebody who pays attention, a North American living in North America who pays such close attention to both the derby scene and the Japanese uh, contingent in general, and as somebody who has a vested interest in promoting the JRA in America, I mean, what does this mean to you to have this depth of competition? Uh, it's just fantastic. Uh, and I guess it just shows what, you know, the, all of us have been very aware of what the Japanese are capable in terms of just their breeding programs and the development of their horses over the years. 
obviously they've had a main target being the, the Arc de Triomphe as kind of their holy grail, but uh, it's been interesting to see the kind of migration over to the dirt side when you, when you have winners such as Marshall Lorraine, the, the Breeders' Cup Distaff, and then now you can see they're actually saying, hey, listen, we got a shot here uh, to show what we're made of in terms of not only, you know, a, a non-traditional training methods, uh, but also just the, the pedigrees and bloodlines that they have with that, you know, ideal mix of speed and stamina that they bring to the, uh, the full here. Let's talk about that as we go through these runners. We're going to roll some tape here, starting with Derma Sotagake in the UAE Derby, a race that uh, Michael had the chance to witness in person. Michael, maybe uh, talk us through what you saw here. Um, well, there's there's two kind of, uh, um, you want to say storylines here. I say one is that the horse had the run of the race on the best part of the track, and horses consistently get this trip and run a few lengths fast or farther than, than they should um, or better than, than their form should actualize. But he's also the best horse in the race and he won like it. Um, that's, you know, you can't deny that. Even if he comes back three or four lengths um, with a similar trip, he still wins by two lengths. So, right. I mean, he's, he's the best horse in the race. He's very progressive right now. My only worry with him is that he may be, um, shot his best bullet here might be peaking a little early uh and you know it, it's 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 a tough ask but he's the most impressive runner from japan we've had going into the race and outside of mendelssohn the most impressive uae derby winner yeah we have talked about this before but uh figure wise my my friend rob dove one of the top 10 pro punters in the uk today did an estimated buyer speed figure for this run that we're watching right now and came up with 103 which is you know certainly <laughs> racehorse time and even if you back if you back that up a little bit it, it still puts him there with the with the best of what we've seen um let's roll the tape of the saudi derby uh, producer craig while we continue to talk about this horse it's uh, it's tricky with the japanese runners to try to um guess what kind of a speed figure they're going to run. Toshi, when you're evaluating horses internationally, especially Japanese horses coming to the U.S., do you have any method of trying to uh, discern what a speed what speed figure they might be running, or are you looking at it in more of a European way in terms of form? Yeah, I, I would go with, you know, your European way, to be honest. And it's it's very, very hard, you know, because you know Japan, historically, uh, dart racing is subordinated to dart, you know, tough. But uh, as Kraus mentioned, you know, we got recently we got international Grade One winners outside of Japan on dart, you know, Panthrasa and Malshuram. So it's getting definitely improved, but it's actually hard to say until they uh, actually compete against uh, international races. What are your thoughts broadly, Toshi, when it comes to Derm Sotogake and his chances in the uh, in the Kentucky Derby? I mean, he, he's a proper proper horse, you know, uh, Japanese local grade one winner and very impressive winner in the UAE Derby. I think he he's uh, he would have the most chance uh, out of three Japanese landers, and it will be very interesting to see how he will compete in this field. And this is the fast, actually fast, proper runner we are sending to Kentucky Derby. Oh, wow. That's high praise. I mean, because we've seen some decent results. So if this one truly is different sauce, it could be different result. Let's watch a little bit more Derma Sotokake tape 
we have the listed run from back on December 14th. And the first thing you'll notice when you, uh, when you watch this run is it's not like we're dealing with a one run speed horse definitely needs the lead type. I would think strategically looking at the American horses we have Klaus that uh, going to the lead run as someone who's uh, has a little bit of a wagering interest on this horse. That's what I want to see happen. What do you think about Dermis Sotogake in terms of running style? What do you think his best uh, chance is running style wise in the Derby? And how do you think he fits overall? Well, I, I think he fits based on what we've seen in the, in the UAE Derby. Um, now I think what was interesting to me is the fact that the trainer after the race said, we weren't sure if he could actually go this long. That was one of the comments he said actually after the race. So it's good that he actually proved that. But then to Mike's point, it's just, um, you know, was he taking advantage of, a, of an inside draw and, and, you know, what was going on through that day? Cause you know, I'm not, not sure of Michael's opinion, but you know, was that there was a perceived speed bias earlier on that card on the dirt. So was that actually a case, Michael, or was it just a case of just the best horse one, one on the lead and, and towards that inside trip they had? I think more often than not, the I would say to me it's 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 sort of a def, speed bias by default. I just think the inside lanes are better, and if you can get to the inside and you can stay there and you you have the advantage at that point. I mean, I, I I see the same advantage when I when I see horses that are drafting properly on the inside, um, or, or 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 rallying up the inside. I just think the ground is better down there and. and Nobody can convince me otherwise. I have no data to back it up. I just have watching thousands of races. Um, and to me, yes, the inside is better. The ground is better. He had the easiest way around, and he had nothing bothering him the whole time. I mean, the horse has also overcome some adversity in his races, and he is a work in progress. He's been a bit green, and he, he is a bit um, a bit tough to handle in the mornings. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's, he's just very, very exciting because of the ability to – that, that, that he at a mile three sixteenths, he showed speed, uh, kind of like Mendelssohn, just like him, and the ability to rebreak, um, and, and and put him to bed, and he'll need all of that and more. Um, plus, he's going to get bumped around, and the post is going to be everything for him. Um, out of the three, I'm not going to take him. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. You're tipping your hand. We'll get there. We'll get there. But I want to I want to hit on what you just said. What would be the ideal post for him? Do you think just do you want him inside, break clean, go on, or do you want him outside, maybe not have as much jostling? Uh, no, I want him. I would like to somewhere between five and ten. Um, okay. I'd like him. I like him have a, a few, couple horses inside um, that might show a little bit of pace. And if they want to go, go. But he's already proven that if he's quicker than the rest, um, and we've seen it before with these Japanese horses, especially the young ones, they're fast, they break, they go. Um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he's on the front. Uh, but I do know this about Christoph over and over and over. He doesn't make the same mistake twice. And last year he made You're a big mistake. Last year and getting caught in the speed yeah. burnout. Yeah, he's not going to do that again. So especially do, with a Do you think that means about, he'll not want to use the speed at all or just go forward and not get in a duel? He's a horseman. I think he'll listen to his horse. And I think that if the horse is fast enough to comfortably put himself on the lead in 47, that's what he's going to do. Um, but if he's, you know, if, if somebody wants to go in 45 and four, 46 and two, he's going to sit off of them. 
That's music to my ears as somebody with wagering interest in this horse. Klaus, do you agree the best shot is to go forward, if, if not necessarily, you know, the old Richard Migliori expression he uses so often and so well, get the position going forward and just let the race unfold? I mean, you certainly couldn't be in better hands, as Michael alluded. Yeah, no, I was going to echo the same point that Michael made, and just that Christoph Lemaire had a uh, hell of an experience last year, and I'm sure that was his first derby, and he kind of halfway through the race probably said WTF. In, 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 in <laughs> so, um, I, for me, it's just that that experience again. He's a world class jockey. I think we, we all know that. Uh, he's proven time and time again that you know he's he's comfortable with putting a horse on the front and lulling the field to sleep as well. So, um, you know, for me, it's just the experience he gained last year is going to be immense. Uh, and yeah, to Mike's point, I think he's just going to be speed, you know, sitting probably, if not on the lead, very close to it, uh, having his horse within range of the leaders if, if he's on the lead and then making his move turning for home. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that there's lots to like. And, and Dermo Sotigaki has been a very versatile horse throughout his career. So those that think that, you know, oh, he needs the lead. No, he doesn't need the lead. But again, from the U.S. side, like you keep looking at the PPs in the U.S. side and, you know, yeah, like we saw the the Kings Bar and who I think ran part of a, you know, almost 50 50 second half mile it's like it slow. walking the dog there right so yeah. um I, I don't see any really sort of speed from the u.s from the, at least from the local side so yeah he may have it to his own and you know hey winning colors you never know yeah maybe from california we'll get to that form <laughs> that bit of form in a little bit but i'm with you i i could also see the type of year-to-year -year overreaction we sometimes see last year's derby crazy pace meltdown sometimes there's a reaction where the next year it tends to flow more to the front Toshi, I'm going to ask you the most difficult question I've asked anybody in a long time on these airwaves. Regarding Dermot Sotogake, before we move on to the other two contenders, what price do you think this horse should be in the Kentucky Derby? What would be like a fair odds read in your opinion? I know you follow the form in the U.S. as well. Oh, it's it's a difficult question. But for me, fair price would be yeah, 25 to 1. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't think you're going to get anywhere near that on the day. I feel like this horse has a lot of, uh, of hype coming his way. I think he's been bet. He started off around there, but has come into a, a more like a 12 to one or so. So that that's super interesting about him. You know, if he becomes the buzz horse, I'm assuming that means Toshi would be rooting with the heart more than the, more than the wallet. Klaus, do, do you get the impression that I'm getting that this is a horse yeah. that could get bet down to the third choice maybe even? Yeah, I, I, you know, in my opinion, I, I probably see him going off at uh, anywhere from nine to two to six to one. And that's just by a feel the derby. So I want to do a whole other video uh, if we can pull in Kate Hunter to talk about the preparations of these horses and, and the different approaches and how they got over and when they got over. But Michael, I'll ask you just in general I like the fact that this horse has gotten here early. Um, I, I got to see that as a little bit of a positive. What's your read on? Uh, on just his the preparation route that they're that they're taking. I mean, every place that they've gone, they've had really had no issues. Um, you know, they shipped to the Middle East, and it was kind of a it was an easy ship between Saudi and 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 uh, here in Dubai. And he enjoyed himself here for 10, 10 14 days, and then and then he shipped there. And then I, I feel like getting there early, he's going to have plenty of time to to adjust. Like like most trainers, you either like they they either want them to ship in way out or on the race yeah uh, nowhere in between um and a way out is fine with me i just think that they're these if these horses are shipping in the first place they're usually pretty hardy pretty tough in general and they usually have, even if they are a little bit flighty as he can be in the morning uh 
I think Kate said something about him uh, jumping at a bucket that he's seen eight <laughs> times in a row. Um, you know, and but but you know, it's 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 one of those things where I, I think that they're that factor that doesn't even factor at all into whether or not I think they're going to be viable in the race. Um, I to me the it just comes down to what I usually handicap, which is you know whether or not I think they're going to get the get the distance on pedigree, on style, and on class. And it sounds like you think he's a contender, that you've already tipped your hand, that there might be one more interesting. We'll, I promise we'll get to the others. I just have so many questions about this. I did want to – I think there's a, an easy comparison that isn't fair between Mendelssohn and Dermasodagake. And I just wanted to see if, if somebody on the panel would either fight me on this or, or tell me I'm right. I think a lot of people are going to say, well, that horse too had a huge figure – I forget what it was, but it was higher than 103 in Dubai and, you know, potentially with the flow of the track, et cetera, very similar, and then came over here and, and, and flopped. But he flopped because he couldn't get out of the gate. That is unfortunately something we've seen historically from certain Aiden O'Brien runners. We don't really see that from the Japanese runners. I think it's an unfair comparison. I'm not worried about it at all. Does anybody want to comment on that? I mean, I think that there's – there's no comparing them because of the circumstances that Mendelssohn had to deal with. I mean, the, the, the auxiliary state was still in, in, uh, in play. He got, he got smacked around like Tina Turner. It was not good. I, um, it was, it was, it was one of those, his race was over in the first, you know, few strides of the race. I mean, it, it was that he never had a chance to run and he came back and he proved himself, uh, in the traverse his class what his class was and he was you know unlucky he did the hard work that day and lost i to me he's just a very very um it's not fair to really really compare the two i think that the only thing that they really are comparable on is that 10 furlongs is probably not going to be 100 percent their best distance yeah, that's interesting. I mean, having the success at a mile and three sixteenths, but that's where the maybe being carried by the track makes me a little bit nervous. I'm hoping the pace scenario and Lemaire can make up for it. Let's finally move on to Mandarin Hero, this horse that made such a huge run and really surprised me with the big run in the Santa Anita Derby. Klaus, you and I talked before the race and, um, you know, putting together – different ideas were expecting, you know, this was a horse that was maybe going to run in the mid eighties on the buyer scale, uh, way, way higher than that. If you believe the official figures in the Santa Anita Derby, which I don't have much reason to doubt. Um, how surprised were you Klaus by Mandarin heroes effort here? Uh, I think I was really shocked. It was just more just for me, like, like everything else. And just when, when you have the NAR horses, again, he was primarily NAR horse. Uh, Explain what that means. There's going to be a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, this so, so to, to you know, Toshi mentioned it earlier, but you would kind of have, you know, the, the A leagues in Japan, which is the JRA. So you'll have, you know, your, your prime horses who are talented with the number one trainers are all based primarily on the JRA circuit. Uh, but for, for that being said, you know, dirt racing is kind of an afterthought for the most part and horses who, you know, haven't really succeeded on the turf are, are tried on the dirt. And then sometimes, you know, they, they do their best running there. Uh, with that being said, there's only, also only two grade ones on the dirt in Japan, uh, at least on the JRA side. Both are for older horses, one being the February stakes, uh, you know, in February, obviously. And then you have the Champions Cup, which is at the end of the year. Those, again, those are two dirt races for older horses. So if you have a developing two-year-old or three-year-old that can only run on the dirt in Japan, you're forced pretty much to run on the lower leagues, if you want to call it, the B leagues, if you want to call it in Japan, through the NAR circuit, which is only dirt racing. Uh, and the big thing about the NAR racing, for the most part, is that 
these are run over very short tracks, so almost, almost bull rings for the most part in, in the NAR. So they do have a grade one at the end of the year for two-year-olds. That's the one that's uh, Dermo Sudari one. Uh, Zenon Nippon Yushi, I believe it is called. Uh, and then you also have, again, then you also have the three-year-old series, which in, in Japan, they also have the Japan Dirt Derby as well for those three-year-olds that, are again, are good enough as three-year-olds. So again, there's no real, per se, progression for stellar dirt horses in Japan if you're a three-year-old. You know, there are a few grade threes, um, but for the most part, all your grade ones are, are run over those kind of NAR tracks in Japan. In the dirt That's a great description. Craig, let's roll the tape of this Santa Anita Derby win, and we'll bring in, we'll bring in Toshi. I'm a, I'll ask it this way. How surprised were you, Toshi, by how well Mandarin Hero performed in here? I was very surprising, you know. He, he's, he's from NL, and we didn't know, you know, how good he would be. But it's surprising and historical even, and it's huge impact on the Japanese racing. The NL horse uh, competed in the international grade one, and which is a proper prep race for the classic race in the U.S., what do you do? You see this as a bit of a fluke, or do you see this as a, a huge run that he can build on? If, if you're a little skeptical about price-wise, anyway, Derma Sodagake, I mean, what does this horse go with any chance for you? Uh, I mean, to be honest, I mean, uh, first I need to say, you know, what, what a ride by you know Kazushi Kimura, his Japanese and uh, Utpine-based jockey. Uh, it was fantastic to see him on, uh, you know this horse and finished in second in grade one race. And I would say still Derma Sotokake have better chance, but to be honest, yeah, it's classic race and it's very hard to win classic race in any other country. And it's traveling from different continent. It's a big ask for three Japanese horses. How far do you think um, that Mandarin Hero wants to go. He's shaped like a horse for whom extra distance would be his friend. Do you see any of that in his bloodline? What would be your, your prediction? I mean, he, he's, he's by, you know, not, not completely, you know, uh, proven tire. Uh, so we are not really sure, to be honest. But from his, his performance, you know, he, he can stay, I'd say. Michael, I'm going to bring you in for your thoughts on this one. You, when you were talking about uh, the Japanese runner you might end up landing on, is it, uh, is it behind door number two here? No. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, men in here run a good race. To me, he shapes races and is bred to be more of a miler. Um, and I just think that that's what he's going to be. He's a Shanghai Bobby. He's got a lot of speed. Fujikaseki was a miler. Uh, he's got a lot of um, speed. Uh, even further back, he's got more European miler sprinters in there. I just think that that's what he's going to be, and that's why he ran so well. And he took to the, the tighter turns at Santa Anita because he was used to running on the bullring. Um, everything set up well for him. And he ran against horses, to be frank, that even though they have the highest maybe buyers, but, I mean, on the sheets, none of those horses progressed. That's interesting. Um, um, in, at Santa Anita. So, I mean, they both, they, you know, it, to me, they, they, the winner ran a nine in both races. And he, you know, the, the horses barely closed the gap on him. Um, so to me, it's, it's, he ran into some, he's, he ran into a race where he was the most progressive. Um, and he's very consistent. And a mile and an eight at Santa Anita is definitely within a miler's range. So mile and a quarter Churchill Downs with who knows what the ground is going to be. 
um, you know, that's a, that's a big ask for him. If it turns up wet, it probably goes in his favor a little bit because he is a Shanghai Bobby, but the distance is still a big, big ask. Three on the wire does give me some sympathy for that sort of more sheet-oriented speed figure view, which for those that – we got a lot of people here who don't know what that even is. It's a, another sort of proprietary speed figure that a lot of gamblers and horsemen use as opposed to the buyer figures, which are like our sort of commercial gold standard. This race came back fast on the buyers, and if you're looking at buyers, you've got to take all those horses seriously. But the visual impression and this what, what Michael's saying from the sheets – these other speed figures does make it a little bit more questionable. Let's look at a couple of more pieces of tape before we get out of here. Continue our, let's look at uh, this listed stake from November 22nd for this runner here. Michael, I'm going to let you take the lead on, on, on this horse that I, I take it. You have some interest in. He's 50 to one, which is stupid. Um, and I mean, his form outside of, if you take out the UAE Derby, which he ran a decent third and had a bad trip and a questionable ride, um, where he was kept out in a part of the track that he shouldn't have been at and no, no horse ever wins from out there. Um, and he backed up the way those horses usually do and held his ground. He's a grinder. Uh, I think he'll stay the 10 furlongs. Unlike these other two, um, you look at this Catlea stakes that we just saw, like he's a grinder. You see it. He just, he just gets it done. Um, and he'll just keep coming. Unlike the other two where they've, you know, it's been a very Japanese um, go-to to breed these speedy sires on top of very stout mares. Um, and they've done that to a point with all three of these. But unlike the other two, Drifong, even though he was a champion sprinter, I, he was a Geoponte. Um, he was bred not to be a sprinter. Um, I think he had a breathing issue. Yeah. That kept Very him to sprints. It wasn't yeah. his blood necessarily. Yeah, a la, a la um, Midnight Loot. You know what I mean? So it's 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 very similar to that. So to me, Continuar, uh, you look at 50 to 1 on him. It's Yoshida Yahagi. He's had this race circled. Um, I think that Ryusei Sakai has, has experience in the States. He's going to – he's experienced everywhere. He's a nice kid. He's smart. He figures it out. Um, he'll run it right. A better race than last time for sure. Uh, yeah, it's just it's huge value of all the three. If I'm throwing something underneath of whoever I pick on top in this race, it's going to be it's going to be Continuar because I feel like third race off the layoff, he's never run a bad race. Um, if we go back and watch the Mochinichi Oko, which um, we can do that now, Craig, if you have that uh, queued up, the Mochinoki Show, um, which to me is the indicative of where he is. Even though it was back November sixth, this is how they were coming into the year. You see on the inside, this is Dermis Otakake on the inside, um, and Continuar to directly to his outside. And if you're in the, in the States and you're having trouble sort of conceptualizing right-handed turns, just watch it in a mirror. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, so, which is what I used to do as a kid. Um, but yeah, this is, to me, he was probably the, he might have been the best horse in this race. I mean, uh, he's just a grinder. He doesn't have the turn of foot uh, that... Um, Dermis Otagake has, and if I'm going a mile and a quarter at Churchill Downs, I feel like the race is going to suit him really well. And just watching his demeanor, he's he's very relaxed, and you could see it in 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 the way he's taking the Churchill Downs as well. Here, he was very relaxed. I think he's a bit of a sleeper for a piece of the race. I don't think he can win, but I think it'll be exciting. I just I, I see twelve to one on Dermis Otagake and fifty to one on Continuar, and watch races like that, and I just don't I don't know why. 
Klaus, you admitted off air that you, uh, you, you've gone a little bit back and forth with Continuar, originally having a, a bit more rigid of a view. Where, where are you right now in evaluating the relative chances of all three of the Japanese runners? Yeah, well, Michael took a lot of my thunder there for uh, Continuar. <laughs> Sorry. But <laughs> no, it's all good. But it's just again, those are all the points I had. It's just you know, it's the number one is the Ahagi factor. Like this man knows how to take horses from Japan, run them internationally. He does it time and time again, and he just again he he he's points horses to these races who he feels can get the job done. So if he feels it's a horse that can't compete outside of Japan or at least doesn't have the demeanor to trip and travel and and do all that, uh, he won't send the horse outside of Japan. The horse won't, the horse won't leave Japan. So. He knows what he's doing, and and to Michael's point, yeah, I just thought he got had a horrible ride in the UAE Derby. Like he was gunned from the start. He just it's not the kind of horse you want. He just you want him to kind of leave out of the gate, settle, and then make make that one grinding run, as Michael mentioned. So that's how I see him running. So he may be for, well, a lot further back than he was in the UAE Derby and the Derby. I think he will be, um, just because again he's going to get into that that rhythmic pace and then kind of eventually close into the into the speed. He has the stamina. Listen, his his back end is very impressive. Uh, he's by Panda Ring, who was King Kamehameha, King Kamehameha out of a Fusaiju Pandora, who was the QA2, QE2 Cup winner and second the Japanese Oak. So trust me, like his back end is very stellar in terms of stamina wise. So you're good. The you're dam good. of Almond What's that? I'm the dam of Almond Eye. Yes, yes. So <laughs> it's just, you know, again, just there's for me, like I, the more I looked at him, I'm just like, man, he, he's pretty damn good. Uh, and, and then as Michael mentioned, you know, Dre Fong, despite him being a sprint champ, he's already sired Geoglyph, who, you know, won the uh, Satsuki show last year at a mile and a quarter. Um, uh, listen, I just, the more the more I watch this guy and, and just seeing what, what he's all about, he just, for me, is, is out of the three, he's probably like my, my probably growing more and more as my top Japanese horse out of the three. Very interesting. Toshi, let's bring you in for your thoughts on Continue R. You know, interestingly, Yahagi mentioned last early December last year, you know, Continental will travel to Dubai, you know, Saudi, Dubai, and possibly Kentucky. And that's his plan. And earlier, Kraus mentioned, you know, the Japanese dart uh, fixtures for two years old and three years old. You know, he didn't use Zemni uh, Tonisayushin, uh, listed race, uh, local grade one for two years old dart at uh, Kawasaki, which Derma Sotokage win. So that's original plan the master Yahagi has. So it's very interesting to see how it marks. It's going to be fascinating. One more question, and then we got to uh, we got to wrap. But I wanted to talk about any other intersecting form lines or what the key intersecting form lines might be between these three runners. Um, Toshi, I'll start with you actually, because you had mentioned you like you look at the world through uh, through that that English lens of, of form. Have you done a deep dive into any of the the, the collateral form or from what you've seen of these runners um, against each other? Where where does that leave you in terms of of trying to rank them coming into the Derby? You know, it's it's again, you know, it's very hard for Japanese horses, and it's huge ask and a favorite. You know, Fortes, you know, is very strong, I believe. But, you know, again, we don't know the form against U.S. horses. It's a big cask, but it's, we don't know. And unknown and nothing to lose for those three horses. So interesting to see. Incredible storyline. What about against uh, one another, class in terms of intersecting form lines? Anything uh, might be of interest to the audience? 
Yeah, it's been said many times now. I know you said it was part of the uh, your Derby selection show in terms of Derby, Derby Sotogake. So, yeah, there's a horse called Hero Call. Uh, Hero Call is, is really the one that's kind of that form reference for everyone in case you're wondering. So, you know, on, on form lines, at least between Mandarin Hero and Derby Sotogake, you're probably looking at anywhere from a three to six length difference in terms of ability wise. But again, they run the race and uh, you never know. I think the big thing I can say is that, listen, I think all of us here on the, on, on this panel saw Mandarin Hero in the San Diego Derby and said, well, this is really going to be the limits test in terms of seeing how competitive these Japanese horses are. And he was a nose away from winning one of the biggest grade ones in, in North America, or at least in the U.S. on the Derby, Derby Trail. So if you know that, then at least you know what you're up against in, in regards to both Dermot Sotayaki and Continuar as well, who, in my opinion, are much better horses than Mandarin Hero. So... You know, again, uh, I'm not saying they're going to win, but listen, at the end of the day, these horses are bred to go the distance, at least, you know, uh, on the back end, they're bred steadily, they're trained steadily, and, you know, they'll get it. It's a question of how fast they'll get it. Any closing thought from you, Michael, on the form or the figures we can expect from these runners going forward? I think, you know, whether or not – I I mean, I could be I could be dead wrong, and I, I have no problem eating crow anytime, um, but – but, you can't be an, a an analyst of this game without yeah. being willing to do that, or you'd be very boring. <laughs> I mean, you, you know me. I'm not gonna. I, I'm gonna take a swing. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I don't. You know, I'm, I don't like the waffles. So, I'm gonna. I think Mandarin Hero is a toss, um, and I just, I can't. I can't really. Um, I can't really support him. I think that. Yeah, he's a few lengths behind them, but I just there all the things I mentioned before. I can't really support him. Dermot Sotogake can only win this race if everything sets up for him perfectly. He has the class to do it. He has the right rider, you know, but it, it's very situational for him. And the only reason I'll, out of the three that I'm landing on Continuar is because I trust him. I know that he'll run his race. I know that he'll be prepared perfectly. I know that the entire team behind him will have him, you know, on his 110% for this run. Um, and he's never really, he's never run a bad race. And I love that he's a grinder, but every time he tips out, he tries. Um, and I think that that's, that goes a long way, especially if he can put himself in a position in a race like the Derby. Incredibly informative stuff, team. I cannot thank you enough. A couple of little shout outs. I want to shout out. Uh, I finally found my Lexington home after 20 trips to this, <laughs> uh, to this city out here at the Griffin Gate Marriott. I love it here. So comfortable, but a great place to work. They've even got Pelotons in the gym. I, just, I absolutely love it. Uh, wanted to give them a shout out. I want to thank uh, my friends at Old Smoke Clothing, too, for the, for the cool Roses shirt. I'm looking forward to see what they come up with for this year's Derby. OldSmokeClothing.com slash JK, or you can get to them in the moneypodcast.com slash Old Smoke. I want to thank all of today's guests. Most of all, I want to thank all of you for listening, especially those of you who regularly visit InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Loads of free content on there, including great stuff weekly on the JRA by Toshi, by Class. we got to get Michael involved in that too, come to think of it. Um, it's, it's been a blast, and I really appreciate you. And all of today's guests, uh, one quick other shout-out to our founding partners, our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, trfinc.org slash players to look at their cool calendar of events coming up this month. And also our friends at 10 strike racing, the horse named after me looms boldly returns on Saturday. <laughs> Hopefully uh, things will go nicely for us in that spot. This show has been a production of in the money media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. <laughs>